0: Our call to worship reading today is Isaiah 58, 1 through 12, In our pew Bibles are 685 and 686. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does, does, does what is right and has not forsaken the, the commands of God. They seek me for just, just decisions and seem eager to, for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed yet on the day of your lasting You do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. This is the kind of fast I have chosen. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day... For a man to, to humble himself, is it, is it only for borrowing one's head, for bowing one's head like a reed, and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to lose the chain of injustice and unite? the cords of the, of the yoke, and set the oppressed free, and break every yoke? Is it not to share the, your food with the hungry, and provide the poor, uh, the poor wanderer for, with shelter? When you see na- naked, cl- uh, naked, clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will be, will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will, you will call the Lord. You will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and He will save. Say, here I am. You, if you, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the, uh, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in sun-scorched land and will strengthen you, your frame, and you, you will be like a well, well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never tre- fail. Your people will rebuild the, uh, the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of the, street, uh, with, of the streets with dwellings.
1: Joel 2, 1 and 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. And now verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God.
0: Lord, a trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call the sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom bride leave his room and the, bride, and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep bef- between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a word, a byword among the nations. Why should say, Why should they say, among the peoples, where is their God?:
1: And 2 Corinthians five twenty six to 10. It's 1068 in the Pew Bible. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's coworkers, we were urged you not to receive God's grace in vain, For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we were commended ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left through glory and dishonor bad report and good report genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown dying and yet we live on Beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything.
2: The Gospel reading this morning is found in the Pew Bible on page 893 and 894. I'm reading from Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others truly i tell you they have received their reward in full but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret then your father who sees what you have done in secret will reward you and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what you have done in secret, will reward you
3: we good to go? Yeah, I've always objected to the don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing uh, part of that passage. Pete too, he says. Uh, I object because in my left hand I have access to ones, maybe an occasional five, ten, twenty. As my son likes to make fun of me, he says, uh, I, li- I like to carry a little cash. My wife can go all week long without a dollar in her pocket. drives me crazy. I've got to have a few bucks to rub together. They go quickly when I have them. So she doesn't let me hold on to very many because it's a path to poverty for both of us. Um, but as my son likes to say, uh, I have a hundred bucks. My name's Greg Honus. I'm rich. I don't actually today. Uh, more like... 27, so uh, don't feel like you need to pickpocket me after church or anything. That's what the left hand has access to. The right hand has access to the checking account and my signature. And uh, so I do hope that when you come to the children's offering time, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, but when it comes to the offering time, your right hand definitely knows what's going on. And, uh, yeah, okay, Enough offering humor, I see you're not quite in the mood. Too close to tax time, uh, I, I don't know. All right. Well, we're um, in, in this Lenten season and we're talking about uh, useful prepositions. And today's is have, the preposition have. Have mercy is, I think, what we're looking at. When we think about the ways in which we fall short, the ways in which we fail and the ways in which we choose outright, just blatantly choose to do the wrong thing, uh, when we uh, run to the sins we fancy most, so to speak, um, when we experience our, ourselves as less than we would like to be, um, what do we do? From the dawn of time, it's been an interesting thing. Uh, Adam's thing was to blame the woman, the woman's to blame the serpent. Their children did a lot worse. Uh, Cain decides that he doesn't need to follow the instructions given by God for the sacrificial system, that it's his brother's deal to bring sheep, but he's going to bring vegetables and fruits. Now, I love vegetables and fruits and it's a great diet Um, but it wasn't what was asked for the altar of burnt offering and so when Cain shows up with fruits and vegetables he misses the mark God does not accept his offering Uh, Abel's offering of sheep is the one requested and is accepted and Cain is furious because it feels to him like a discounting of his toil and sweat and life's work. And we're told that in a fit of jealousy he rises up and strikes his brother and kills him. And when God asks him where his brother is, that classic response comes, am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me? That's the response to murder. And so we find ourselves if we're good enough people to come to the place where we recognize we've done something terrible and we can move past the denial stage and the blaming others stage and the lying about it stage, if we can get past all of that somehow, then it never ceases to amaze me how our impulse is still to do the wrong thing, as with Cain, bring fruits and vegetables when a lamb has been asked for. Now, to bring that up to speed to a much more modern context, um, let's fast forward to uh, Israel and the ways in which they attempted to make peace with their God. Um, culturally, there was a thing called humbling yourself. It involved the tearing of one's clothes, rending them off, literally, and Covering one's shame with sackcloth, which was meant to haul all kinds of commodities and things, and bearing ash, covering one's head with ash. When we read about Job and his struggle with uh, the boils and his losses and so forth, one of the things he does is he sits there by the fire with potsherds, scraping his boils and putting ash on himself all day. He's completely abased. Or humble. And so the sign of one's penitence and humility in ancient Israel was to remove one's fine jewelry and raiment to tear one's garment or to tear one's garment and to put on sackcloth and ash. Other ways, of course, were the offering systems, the sin offerings that were brought before the Lord. And the, the amazing thing about some of the passages we read today, hopefully you were listening carefully because I do not have time to reread all of those, and I think you're probably reading it, going, oh, thank goodness. Um, that was a lot of scripture, wasn't it? If you were paying attention, though, the theme of those had to do with our missteps in humility and in trying to solve this problem. You see, we can put on the external signs of repentance. We can find the right words or the right posture if we get that far. But it doesn't address the deeper matter of the heart and what God really wants. See? What he wants... Let's fast forward before we get to that, to the time of Christ. All kinds of codes and laws have been written about the law itself so that it's a rather lengthy document, pretty burdensome in some ways. The David who delights in the law of the Lord uh, is speaking of a much simpler time. The law is not so much a delight anymore, but people are happy to comply with the law that's meant to protect the law that was meant to protect the law in a very legalistic way in order to be sure that they could avoid sinning. Oh, we're good at that one, aren't we? We're really good at missing the spirit of the law in order to keep the letter of the law, in order to cover ourselves and assure ourselves that we are indeed within the righteousness that God has demanded. It's called legalism. And it haunts most of us in one way or the other. And if it doesn't haunt you just a little bit, whoa, you've got a whole other set of problems to deal with. We could talk about those another time. When we get to our present day and age, we're remarkably guilt-free in today's society. Sin is just kind of an idea, and the longer we go through, the worse of an idea it appears. It's some sort of uh, religious imposition of an ideology that says that uh, anything doesn't go after all. And usually based on things that don't make a lot of sense until we get down to the big ones like murder and that sort of thing. Society-wide, wise, we're increasingly less concerned on the one hand, about sin and the question of human nature and our response to it, and increasingly concerned about how to fund our prisons and our court systems, and how to have legal reform so that we don't have so many laws that tangle in upon one another, crushing our system and confusing. We've created a whole nother set of problems to deal with what really could be taught and dealt with in one sentence, love God supremely and your neighbor as yourself. Now while that is subject to some interpretation, and we're not always mindful of the ways we hurt one another, that basic guide would suffice to get most of us through life sufficiently and kindly. But I don't think there's a lawyer alive who's read all of the codes of his state, let alone his federal government let alone mastered them all. There are too many. That's why we have very big databases and research assistants and all this sort of thing. So, enough of the contemporary illustration. Let's get to the scriptures we've read. What God desires is not the appearance of humility. It's not our ability to take off our jewelry and take off our fine raiment and put something on we're willing to tear or put on sackcloth and cover our heads with ashes. That isn't what he's looking for. We're done with the sacrificial system, thankfully. We can celebrate that this Lent and the sacrifice of Christ, the Lamb slain once for all. But as we read Scripture, he doesn't want another sacrifice or another offering the smell of them that old testament tells us is a stench in his nostrils because it is a form and a self-deceit it's a way of convincing ourselves somehow that we've done something to ablate the sin within us and are now free to move on What God doesn't want from us is a strict observance of the laws about the laws about the law. He wants something etched eternally and deep within us that resonates with the valuation He puts on human life and human dignity and human persons. Well, That's all kind of a fancy way of saying he wants us to do, not just speak. He wants us to live something out, not just profess it or act it. He wants us to keep the core of the law, the intent of the law, not be focused on the letter only. You see where I'm getting with this? It's an extension of that new covenant. I'm going to write my law on the fleshy tables of their hearts, ultimately fulfilled in the coming of Christ as predicted in Luke 1, which we read last week. In this season, it's this thing called mercy that I want us to focus on. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what? mercy if you would be forgiven what must you first do forgive ah now we're getting close you see what God wants is not a righteousness of form He's not interested in our ashes and our sackcloth he's not interested in our sacrifices He's not interested in our keeping the commandments about the commandments about the commandments. He's interested in us having a heart for him and for others. And what that looks like, and I'm not going to beat this to death this morning, what that looks like, afternoon, excuse me, what that looks like is Justice, mercy, grace. What that looks like is taking care of the needy. What is it that Jesus says? I was naked and you clothed me, hungry and you fed me, in prison and you visited me, sick and you took care of me, thirsty and you gave me to drink. How esoteric is this, do you think? Not very. In this Latin season, with this theme today of have mercy, what I long to pursue myself, and I pray God gives me the grace to increasingly grow in this way, for I have not arrived by far. And what I pray he gives all of us the mercy to pursue is a heart of justice A love for the oppressed and the poor and a willingness to expend our energies and our resources to bless them. The hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the disadvantaged, the imprisoned. You're getting the idea. So, are we going to go home and make a checklist? Find a Cellmate, I can correspond with and go visit, check, so that now I'm eligible to be among the sheep or the goats. Prison ministry isn't for everybody, folks. That's not what the text means. Is it a time to um, sell the house and donate everything to the LA homeless shelter? I think they would probably rejoice at the size of that gift. But then, where do you live? will you be taking the services for the next 20 years of the L.A. homeless shelter? This Lenten season, as we contemplate the goodness of God and what our sin has cost, let's seek the heart of God for people Because when we've done it unto the least of these, we've done it to him. And that doesn't take into account the other many kindnesses that we're called to do for one another and even for those who have. Comes as a shock with all the emphasis that is placed in preaching sometimes upon the, those treated unjustly and the poor and the downtrodden. It comes as a shock to realize God loves the wealthy too, and the privileged and the educated. God loves those. He's blessed to have resources to do greater things. Because what does the scripture say of those who have much? Much is required, not a little, a lot. See, this is where the widow's mite things come in, and I don't mean by money exclusively. I'm I'm using this as an illustration of all of life. If the widow comes in with two mites and gives it, what percentage is she giving? A hundred. If a guy with a billion dollars gives a million, what percentage is he giving? A tenth of a percent. A tenth of a percent. So that million dollars is a very paltry sum compared to two widow's mites by percentage. Of those who have much, much is required. And this is the righteousness that pleases God. This is the offering that ascends. is a fragrant offering. This is the way in which we, without even thinking about it, fulfill the destiny God has for us, in that we have loved God because we have loved one another. This is how I know that you love me, that you love one another, Jesus says. That doesn't just mean the people we like. It doesn't just mean our family or our best friends. It doesn't just mean the affluent and the comfortable and the sane among us. It means that out of the blessing and abundance and goodness and grace that we've all received, the mercy that's ours, we extend mercy. The forgiveness that's ours, we extend forgiveness. The hope that's ours, we give that hope. The blessings and benefits, we share. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son hoping that not one of us would choose to be lost, but would somehow come to see it and get it and live it. O Lord, may you free and empower your people for the good things which you've intended for them to do from the dawn of time, and make us models of the mercy and the grace that you have for each of us in Jesus' name.